0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. and for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? He looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord Pray with me, please. Lord, we welcome you. Thank you, Lord, that when two or three gather in your name, you are in the presence of those that gather. So we welcome you. And we invite you, Lord, to speak to us today, that we might have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say, that we might grow more into your likeness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the gospel that I read today came out of Mark in chapter 10. And it's a conversation that this man has with Jesus, this young man, this young, rich man. And he comes to Jesus with a question. And we hear that in verse 17 or chapter 10. Did you hear what the question was? The young rich man came running up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, for Jesus, who's been preaching about the kingdom of God, he's gone all over healing and and pointing to himself as the Messiah. You would think this would just be a little softball tossed out for Jesus. You would think that he would begin a discourse on eternal life, life with him. But that's not what really grips him when this young man runs up to him. What gets his attention? Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? This is where I want to begin. Let me remind you, we're in a series, we're in a series where we're considering the, the fruit of the spirit, as Paul writes about it in Galatians chapter five. And we're considering how God cultivates within us His character, which is the fruit of the spirit. Paul writes in Galatians chap, or Philippians chapter 2 verse 13, that God works in us and we work out. That there's this transaction that takes place with God working within us and we living it out. Because as we consider how God cultivates and grows this fruit of the Spirit within us, it's not by just waking up one morning and we're all of a sudden joyful and we're never grumpy again. No, there's a transaction that takes place and we're going to look at that. That God is working in us, and and then we work out. And how does that transaction take place? It takes place with us surrendering to him. That's our part. He expects us to, to be involved with what he's doing. And we submit to him. And it's as we do that, even in the difficult moments of life, as we trust him, he can cultivate his character within us. So today we're going to consider goodness. We've looked at love and joy and peace and patience, and last week it was kindness. The next characteristic we want to consider is goodness. The supernatural characteristic that God wants to cultivate that we might be more like him is goodness. And we got to ask, well, what does goodness look like? I mean, how many good people do we know? I mean... Growing up here in South Carolina, I speak of other people as being, they're good people. So what is goodness? Now it's interesting to note as we get into this series that every characteristic that we consider the supernatural char- characteristic that God wants to cultivate, there's a counterfeit. There's something that that even the, the enemy of our souls wants us to believe it's the real thing when it's not the real thing. And we get... Deceived. So, what is goodness that God wants to grow in us? So often, our understanding of goodness falls into two different categories the counterfeits, the not real thing that God wants to grow in us. We can think of it this way the counterfeit that goodness is achieved by considering the rules of life, those things which are morally right. You know, the list, the do's and don'ts of life, the rights and wrongs of life, the alts and shoulds of life, the rituals and obligations that we have in life. That we do our best to try to do our best. In other words, we, we try to do more things right than we do wrong. And if we do so, then we are good. You know, that's how the Pharisees saw it in the days that Jesus lived, the religious conservatives of the day. You see, they knew the law. They knew right and wrong. They knew the requirements of God. They knew the do's and don'ts. And they kept a really close scorecard of of their behavior and their morality. And they established off of that scorecard a a sense of, of goodness not only for themselves, but for for everyone else. They were keeping score. So that's one way that we could consider goodness and it's the counterfeit by keeping the scorecard, keeping score. Another way to think about it is that, that we are better than others. I mean, we look at our scorecard and, and if our scorecard is better than others, then we consider ourselves good. Because you see, we can always find someone else that is Not as good as us. I experienced that Saturday playing golf. (laughs) And I was the one not good. But in Luke in chapter 18, we we see this dynamic taking place. There's a Pharisee and there's a tax collector. They go to the temple and they go to the temple to pray. And it's the Pharisee, the one who knows the rules and even confesses and prays. Oh, Lord. I have... Tithed, I have fasted, I've done everything, and God, thank God, I'm not like this guy over here, this old poor tax collector. She kind of keeping a scorecard, using this definition that that we're better than others, and 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 if we use that definition, then there are a lot of good people in the world. But that's not what the Bible describes as goodness. So what is goodness? The supernatural characteristic. Well, the Bible is not talking about trying to be better than others, being better than most, not talking about keeping a scorecard. No, goodness that we find in the Bible means God-likeness. God-likeness. This is what God wants to cultivate in us, the fruit of the Spirit, God-likeness. So we take that definition, we go back to the gospel that I read today in, in Mark in chapter 10. This rich young man comes running up to Jesus. He's very honoring of Jesus. He kneels and he says to him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question, but then Jesus asks a question to the question Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And now that just blows our definition of goodness out of the water. Establishing goodness by following the rules, keeping a scorecard, being better than others, we're good. But Jesus says that's not the truth. He says the truth is no one is good except God alone. So this whole game that we play trying to be good, trying to be good enough to keep in score Well, that's not good at all. No one is good but God alone. Now, as we consider this story, in a sense, Jesus, as he often does, is trying to provoke a response from this man about who he actually is. No one is good. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. So this man who's running up to Jesus, he's either patronizing Jesus because he knows, well, you know what, he's not God, and I'll just, I'll just kind of patronize him. Or he's got this incredible statement of faith that he is God and calls him good. But I think Jesus knows the heart of this man. I think Jesus knows that this man is running up to him, patronizing, sensing that, that this man's got this superior attitude towards him, almost condescending good teacher knowing his scorecard. But that's not the only place that Jesus speaks of goodness. He speaks of goodness also in John's gospel, in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. Listen to this. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Do you hear it? I mean, goodness, that's the way Jesus sees it. It's God-likeness. It's love in action. It's meeting people at the critical points of need in their lives. That's goodness the way that Jesus sees it. So Jesus contrasts, he contrasts the hired hand in John chapter chapter 10. He contrasts the hired hand when he says that, that the hired hand, when he feels the pressures of life... Uh, what it takes to be a shepherd, that when the wolf comes, when, 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 when pressure is mounted, the hired hand abandons the sheep. Rather than meeting the sheep at the place of their need, providing protection for them, he meets himself at the place of his need, and he scatters, he flees, he runs, with no regard to the sheep. So Jesus is actually holding up for us that goodness is meeting people at the point of their need. Love in action. So you go back to the gospel. Again, in Mark in chapter 10, this young, young man who runs up to him, and Jesus asks him, he says, well, do you remember what the rules are? Do you remember the commandments? In verse 19, uh, the, the man says, yeah, I've kept them all. I've kept the scorecard. I've kept a good scorecard. And then verse 21 love this it says that Jesus looks at him and loves him one of the favorite words when I took Greek I I love blepo it it means to to look to gaze upon this intense compassionate compassionate gaze and this is what Jesus did with this young man he sees beyond the externals of what this man's presenting This is how he looks at us. He looks deep within our hearts so that Jesus moves past this man who's patronizing him and deals with him on the level of goodness. And he says, there's one thing that you lack. You you really want life. Then take all that you have and, and sell it and give the proceeds to the poor and then come and follow me. And we read in the story that the man couldn't do it. In other words, he said, no, I'm not doing that. His face fell and he walked away dejected. Now, have you ever noticed how sometimes the things that that we call blessings can actually keep us away from God? The very things that we have our lives filled with that, that, that God has given us, whatever it might be, it might be financial security, it might be, security, might be health, it might be family, relationships, it might be prestige, whatever it is. Eventually, they can actually create a barrier between us and God. What I'm saying is that we can actually become dependent upon the things that God has given us, and we can lose sight of the one who gave it to us, God. And what we tend to do is that we tend to now try to meet our needs in life with the stuff that we have to avoid the one thing, to avoid the want, to avoid the need, the lack. And for a lot of us, nothing could be worse than that. Nothing could be worse than being a person who is in need. So that need becomes a great wilderness in our life. We don't want to experience need. We've heard time and time again as we've been in this study, uh, the garden principle, that God meets us where we are in life. And we read in Isaiah chapter fifty-one, verse three, that that we contend to see things as a wilderness, that really nothing good can come from this experience that I'm having in life, this negative emotional experience I'm having right now in life. And Isaiah fifty-one, three says that's not true. God says I can, I see it as a garden. I can actually use this this experience that you think nothing good can come from it. I can use it for good, and I can cultivate cultivate my. Fruit. And, and you've just got to trust me. You've got to believe me. Because in all things, God works for good for those who love him. Romans 8, 28. And he begins to change us as we trust him, as we go through life. And we call that transformation. God working in and us working out. The very nature and character of God that's grown within us. We call that the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of human achievement, but the fruit of the Spirit. Even, even in the desperate place of need, God can take that and He can grow His fruit. Goodness. Love and action. Remember what Jesus said in the gospel, verse 21? He said to the rich young man, said, go sell everything, give it to the poor. Then you're going to have treasure in heaven. Now then come and follow me. Do you realize what Jesus was doing? I mean, this guy had lots. He had no need. He had it all. He could do whatever he wanted to do, go anywhere he wanted to go. He could hire whoever he wanted to hire. He could meet his own need. But Jesus is challenging this rich young man to enter into a place of real need, of dependency upon him, of identifying with others in need by admitting that he is a person of need. Because it's when we acknowledge our need, when we embrace our need, when we call on God, when we trust him, And not our own resources. We trust him to to meet us in the place of need. Two things happen in our lives. We can actually see first the goodness of God. We can see the goodness of God when we come to him honestly, raw, in a place of need. We can see the love in action. Because that's where he longs to meet us. In that place of need. But also we see that he cultivates goodness within us, this God-likeness, so that we can now see other people in the place of their need, the point of need that we can meet them there. Isn't that what we heard in the psalm today that Mary Ellen read out of Psalm 23? I mean, did you hear that? I mean, this is David writing this psalm, and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want I shall not need. Where does David get that from? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Verse 6, that surely goodness and mercy and love shall follow me all the days of my life. Where did David get this attitude? It was grown in the garden of need and his own life. David knew need as a shepherd boy in the heat of the day and the cold of the night when the wolves were attacked. He entrusted himself to God, a place of desperate need. David knew the place of need as a warrior and he knew the place of need as a a king. There's a desperate need in his life and there he trusted God And there he saw the goodness of God in his life. Not keeping need at arm's length, but being well acquainted with need in his life. And he saw God's goodness. So that he's able to say in Psalm 23 that the Lord is my shepherd. What am I going to end up wanting? What do I need? Because mercy, goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. How did David say that? He learned it. Because God put him in a garden of need. The experiences of life. The wilderness of want and deprivation. And rather than trying to figure out a way not to experience want, he embraced it. And he turned to God to meet him at the point of that need. And he saw the goodness and mercy of God. And it changed him. It transformed him. It didn't make him perfect, but God was able to cultivate the fruit of the spirit of goodness, God-likeness, love, and action in him. And I say the same is true for us today. The same is true for us, that in everyday, ordinary needs, we can see the goodness of God. We can see him cultivating goodness in us. It's true for us. Go back to the gospel again. Verse 24 Jesus lets the man walk away. He lets him walk away. And then he says the most incredible thing. He said, It's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And that was hard to hear. That was hard for the disciples to understand because, you see, the thought of the day was, if you're rich, then God is up on you. But if you're down, then how can God be up on you? And everyone begins to look at the veneer of life rather than going to the substance and to the heart. And we hear and we see in this gospel today that Jesus says in verse 25, he says something outrageous, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are scratching their heads and say, well, wait a minute. Talking about eternal life. Well, then who? Who 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 can enter in? And Jesus says, well, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Why did he say that? I mean, I get uneasy with that. I don't know about you. I mean, you know, they're probably, if we show hands, who's wealthy? Nobody would raise their hands. But we live in the United States of America. We live in a wealthy country. So that's true. It's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In order to enter the kingdom of God, we got to participate in the things of God. We've got to acknowledge who God is and who we are. We have to to acknowledge our need before God, that we are morally bankrupt, that we are empty. And that we have this need, this great need for love, for forgiveness, for salvation. The very thing that Jesus brought that we can never do for ourselves. That what he has is what we desperately need. I love the opening set today. I'm desperate for you, Lord. I'm desperate for you to meet me at this place of need right now. That's the cry of the heart expressed to God. Why? Because I need you. I need you. All this stuff, all the wealth, it can blind us, especially in our culture. We live in a needy country. We're so addicted to so many different medicines. We are needy. And the irony is that we can't admit it. Because we don't want to be in that place of need. We don't want to confess that we are a people in need so we can we attempt to keep it at bay and when we do that we never taste the very goodness of God in the wilderness experience of need what am i saying i'm saying God longs for us to admit to acknowledge to confess to be real to be transparent our need to him and can we dare do it to one another <laughs> Because you see, when we confess it, we're met by Him. And when we trust Him, we're met by God's goodness, His love and action. And He cultivates goodness in us. That we can meet the need of others in our lives. That's goodness. That's God-likeness. But again... What do we do? We construct our lives in such a way that we don't want to have to confess our needs. So Jesus asked the question, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. We have to hear the question. You see, it's when we dare to acknowledge need that we admit and embrace it that we call out to God for help that we like David can say the Lord is my shepherd where's my want surely goodness and mercy and love will follow me all my days it comes out of the garden of the wilderness of need that we call out to God that we see his goodness And that he creates that within us. Wouldn't it be amazing if if we could be that kind of church where we could be real, we could be authentic, we could be honest. Where we could acknowledge our need before God and dare to do it before each other. Say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I need you to come now into this mess. I need you. I need your power. I'm desperate for you, Lord. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could be that honest and see the goodness of God Growing in us. Not the counterfeit. Not being better than others and keeping a scorecard. But the genuine fruit of goodness. Love in action. Godlikeness. Grown within us. Oh Lord. I'm desperate for you, Lord. Forgive me when I have tried to be good, Lord. When I've looked at others and think, you know, I'm better off than they are. When I've tried to cover up need, try to fill the need with the stuff that you've blessed me with, Lord. I'm desperate for you. Lord, as I Move into the season of Lent. I pray for the truth to look into the mirror and to see the need and to cry out to you, Lord, that I might have eyes to see the need of others in my life and meet them in the point of their need. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you are a good, good Father. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.